I'm going to dive right in this morning. Two rebels were crucified with him. One on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, that is, all the so-called faith-filled people, mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Kind of hard to hear these words. Even from criminals, thieves, hurling insults at Jesus, it certainly wasn't a scene that shouts out the word self-control. There wasn't much self-control to be had amongst all these <laughs> religious people who claimed to believe in God. There wasn't much self-control amongst the criminals who were crucified with him. About the only place we can look is to that one man, Jesus, hanging on the cross who is exercising an amazing amount of self-control under this situation. And when we hear about what Jesus has done for us, one thing we should always remember is not just that he died on the cross for us, but that he lived a perfect life in our place. That perfect life, yeah, even of self-control that you and I, we failed to live. Well, Jesus is here weaving a robe of righteousness for us out of his own self-control and not weaving that robe so that he can proudly wear it, but weaving a robe of righteousness so that he can place it on your shoulders as you, as you run home to your father like a prodigal son realizing, wow, my life, my life? It could be a lot better than this. Let me run home to the Father and see what he will do. It's better to be a servant in his house than to be living like this, out of control all the time. And there will be the Father for you and for me, carrying the robe that Jesus wove from his acts, his life of self-righteousness, of, um, self-control, and righteousness. And that robe is placed on us. And it's in gratitude for that that we are studying today not only Jesus' self-control, but does that in some form or fashion lead to us getting a little bit more control in our lives? And how does that work? And so that's what we're talking about this morning. I don't know how many of you remember the movie or maybe even read the book 
the girl with the dragon tattoo. It was a, a very popular book for a little while, uh, a number of years ago. The author is a Norwegian guy by the name of Stieg Larsson, and I think he nailed it. Not necessarily as a Christian, but just as someone who's observed life. And look what he says. Impulsive actions led to trouble. And trouble could have unpleasant circumstances. I think we all know that living a life that's out of control, where we exercise no control over ourselves or very little, there's trouble and unpleasant consequences. And I was doing a little bit of research about the opposite of self-control, what we might call impulsiveness. And I came across this um, interesting article in Psychology Today, and it listed the five most common reasons, according to research, that people get impulsive, make impulsive decisions, and get themselves into trouble and negative consequences. So I want to share those quickly. I'm just going to read through them. There's there's just a little bit of interesting uh, knowledge here. So number one, the psychologists call it ego depletion, and you'll get what that means as I read through this. It's making a series of decisions that involved conflict. So they're in conflict all day long, trying to impress others, responding kindly to rude behavior, planning a wedding or whatever, leads to ego depletion. In other words... <laughs> Your self-control battery runs dry at the end of a day like this. And ego depletion leads to a loss of motivation and self-control. So number one, just realize most of us as we're running through a day and we're trying to impress others, responding kindly, there's rude behavior, we're planning something big. By the end of the day, that self-control muscle is probably going to be a little tired. So that's number one. Number two is this busyness, and especially your cognitive load, like how many things do you have to think about every day? The busier people are, the more likely they will behave impulsively. In a moment of stress, we often forget the names of people we know well. Anybody ever had that happen to them? When our mind is short-term mind guides our choices. That dinosaur mind, right? That, that reptile mind wants to drive us. All right. Stress. Coping with stress involves using willpower to control behavior. Daily stress can cripple the prefrontal cortex, the brain's executive function that moderates concentration planning, decision-making, and judgment. As a result, we lose the ability to be reflective and begin to function on automatic default. We're not really thinking through our decisions well. All right, next one. Alcohol and drugs. Intoxication reduces your resistance to temptation and weakens inhibitory control. Intoxication reduces self-awareness and narrows the scope of attention, limiting the ability to attend to multiple cues. And finally, number five, blood sugar. This is why we eat cookies. Glucose is a vital part of willpower. Evidence shows that exerting willpower lowers your blood sugar, which reduces the capacity for further self-control. Brains are energy hogs. Your brain uses about 20% of the energy 
your body consumes. Man, on the day that I'm writing my sermon for you guys, I don't know why. Well, now I do know why. I am ravenous. Julie has to hide all the food in the house. The glucose itself doesn't enter the brain, but it's converted into neurotransmitters like serotonin. A lack of those neurotransmitters increases impulsivity. Maybe you can relate to at least one of those five. And so we're in this world where so much is required of us day after day. And what that does and what the devil does with that, with his lies, is he's constantly before you and me saying, mm, don't worry so much about good judgment. Don't worry about deferring your gratification. Don't worry about whether this is a good or bad decision right now. Just go with what feels good. Go with your gut. And then we're back to the Stieg Larsson quote again. How all of a sudden, and sometimes we don't always connect the dots between the, the, the consequences and our impulsive decisions. Sometimes we miss those dots along the way and then we think, well, it's because of this or that outside thing that I'm getting these consequences. But how often do we really need to step up on the balcony of our own behavior, our own words, our own thinking and say, hmm, maybe there are dots between that impulsive decision and what I'm experiencing right now. And I, I you know, I know a lot of people, I myself have had those moments where I've been impulsive. And I don't, I don't like it when I'm like that. I don't like those unpleasant circumstances. I don't even like, even when God dampens the consequences, I don't like feeling out of control that way. I'm guessing you don't either. I'm guessing you would kind of rather be a little bit like Solomon and be able to use wise judgment when you make your decisions, when you say those words out of worry or anger or desire, and when you take those actions. Julie and I, this past week, we were asked by our daughter who lives up in Wisconsin. They don't have a lot of uh, car dealerships up there in small town Wisconsin. She was asking us to look at a couple of vans for her, and we did. We went to a couple of car dealerships, and man, you want to you want a place where you could make an impulsive decision, especially when it's not your money that you're spending? Pretty cool. So she gave us, you know, what she wanted, and we went around, and of course, we didn't really spend her money. She had to actually pay for it in the end, but man, I just felt that tug in my heart, even though it wasn't my money, even though it wasn't my decision about the car. Whew, to make an impulsive decision, not for myself, but for my daughter. And I, I'm going to wager there are environments in your life, whether it's a store or wherever it might be, where you're more tempted to make these impulsive decisions. So let's dive in and let's ask ourselves this. Jesus, Jesus was self-controlled, again, not for himself but so that he could give his record of self-control for us. That's the gospel message, beautiful. 
What it means is that even when we lack self-control, Jesus is going to forgive us. And before the Father, we're going to have Jesus' record. And it also means this. Jesus wants to strengthen you and me so that our decisions get less impulsive and more, more wise. So we've talked about this, and we, we've uh, dived into this. Here's your first fill-in. The serious issue of impulsivity, it is getting more and more serious in our world today. And the reason we know it's serious is because the Bible tells us it's serious. Look at what the book of Proverbs says. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. That's not the city that you want to be or I want to be because what it means is all our defenses are down and anyone can walk into our lives and take advantage of us. So it's really saying you want to build a good, strong, spiritual wall around your heart? Self-control is a big part of that building process. That's why... This issue of impulsivity is so important for us. So let's take a look at Jesus. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. This passage, and one we're going to read in just a second, really begs the question of why are we so impulsive? Many of us have been Christians for a long time. We know about wisdom. We know that God tells us you're destroying important defenses in your life that are not, that's not going to help you. We know there are consequences consequences for unwise quick decisions that we make and yet almost all of us put in the right uh, circumstances in the right environment with the perfect storm of this coming at us and that coming at us well and Jesus circumstances here for me I don't know about for you but these are the kind of circumstances that would have me spinning out one impulsive decision after another Someone mocking me? Someone jeering? We've all seen it in NBA games. That guy just disrespected me, and in a moment, they're at each other. Now think about Jesus being like that. I mean, he had every reason in the world to level these guys. For them mocking him. And not only did he have every reason, he had the power and the authority to level them. I, I, I think we need to realize that just because Jesus was the Son of God doesn't mean that the temptations he faced weren't very concrete and real. Remember the time when he was dragged out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. 40 days without eating? And Jesus, by the way, there too, you have the power and the authority to take that big old rock over that and make that the biggest loaf of sourdough that we've ever, the world has ever seen. And won't that taste great? Jesus 
very much could have done differently here. And yet, beautifully, for our sakes, because he's weaving that robe of righteousness for us, he holds back. He stays cool under pressure. And that is something I really desire. I'll bet you really desire in the moments of pressure in your own lives. Don't you sometimes just go, man, the kids were at me all day, and just like those five things we studied, they kept coming back. Mommy this, mommy that. Crying, tugging at my, my pants that I'm wearing. Dad comes home. He's looking for just a few moments in the easy chair, and there they are all over him. And have you ever popped off in those moments? Yeah, partly because your brain is tired, but also partly because we don't have the control over our impulsivity that we would like to have. And why is that? Well, Revelations tells us it goes all the way back to our birth. In fact, it goes back to before we were born. Check this out. God had just created a perfect world. But what happened after that? War broke out in heaven. There was a rebellion by some of the angels, we learn. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, that's the devil. And the devil, the dragon, and his angels fought back. Rebellion. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven, meaning the devil was not strong enough. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, or we could say into rebellion. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him, and here they are, right in our midst. And we now due to what happened with Adam and Eve, we've been led into rebellion. And every generation since Adam and Eve, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know this is the truth. Every Christian and every person in our world was born as a child of rebellion. Our, our hearts are depraved from birth. And it is only as God enters our life, it is only as Jesus begins to live in our hearts, it's only as the Holy Spirit produces it, are we able to gain some of that territory back in our own hearts so that we're not fully rebellious all the time. And part of that rebellion leads to our impulsivity. Impulsivity is a mark of the sinful nature that's in us. So write that down. Impulsivity, why is it a serious issue in our world? Because sin is a serious issue in our world. Because Satan, as that just said, is present in our world. Because even the message of the world around us is, you don't need to control yourself. Live according to your desires. Do what pleases you. So impulsivity is a serious issue because we are born rebels. That's number one. Why, why is that so important to know? Let me ask you that. Because if you expect anything different, every day is going to be a huge disappointment for you. So, 
So many people, you just watch the messaging all over the place. Anytime someone is talking, I'm basically a good person. There's a, there's a guy on social media who's a, a Tucson, Arizona cop. And he posts videos, and they're entertaining as all get out, um, about, you know, stops that he makes on the highway. And... And he'll make a stop, and I can't count how many times I've heard this person who he's stopped say, Officer, officer, you don't need to check the trunk of my car. <laughs> Why not? He asked, because I'm a good person. Like, that's the default philosophy of the world. I hear Christians say it. Basically, I'm a good person, so I've got a tough message for you right now. No, basically, you are not a good person. Not according to the Bible, you're not. I'm not a good person. Why not? Because I'm a rebel, and that's the way I was born. And I don't like saying that. I don't get great joy out of standing in front here and say, all right, you bunch of rebels, listen up. But the reality is, unless we see ourselves for who we really are, we're going to disappoint ourselves majorly every day until we realize by nature we're rebels. And the only answer to our being rebellious, including impulsive, is a guy named Jesus Christ. And that robe of righteousness that he wove for us out of his unrebellious, perfectly unrebellious and unimpulsive life. All right, so let's just go with me, even if you're struggling with this. Did he just say I'm not a good person? Go ahead and struggle with that, but stay with me. Let's go to the NFL now. If you're an NFL coach, you've, um, you've got this beautiful flag Anybody know what that's called? Yeah, that, that's called a challenge flag. If a coach doesn't agree with the call of the ref, he can throw that out onto the field, and they'll do a, a review of the previous play where the ref made a call. He's basically saying, I don't agree with this. I'm going to challenge it. What I want to talk to you about next is the flag, the red flag that God throws when he sees all this lack of self-control in our world. And his challenge is much bigger because God didn't just throw a red flag to challenge all the lack of self-control and thus the self-destructiveness that's in our world. Jesus took his one and only, or God took his one and only son, Jesus, and threw him down into this world to challenge all that Satan wants to do to us. And this is our hope, guys. Even though we're naturally, by birth, rebellious, we have Jesus to come in and challenge all that. Yes, in our world, but maybe even more importantly, in our own hearts and minds. And this is our hope. So write this down, the divine challenge to impulsivity. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us about how God wants to challenge that. 
God not only sent his son, he also sends daily through his word and sacraments his Holy Spirit. God doesn't have just one flag. He's got two in his pocket, his own son and the Holy Spirit. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power. Read this with me. But gives us power, love, and God is not content to let impulsiveness go. God is not content to see us destroy ourselves because we lack self-control over our mouths, over our thoughts, over our actions, over our hearts. God says, I want to give you my spirit. Put that back up for just a second. And when I give you my spirit, you know what I'm giving you? Power. I'm giving you love. And think about how much love helps us not make impulsive decisions because a lot of times when we make impulsive decisions, unself-controlled decisions, we're going to hurt someone. Sometimes we're going to hurt ourselves. And love for that person holds us back, puts reins on us and says, wait a minute, think about this for just a second before you pull this trigger. Right? I loved the first band that I saw in that parking lot, the car dealership. We called our daughter. There were some other people there looking at it. I so much wanted, for, for my daughter's sake, of course, not because I'm competitive, to tell my salesman, get our offer in there first. Beat that cute little family with two small children out for my daughter's sake. They really were a cute family. It was funny. Two little kids, I would guess what, they were maybe three and five. But somehow, not me, the spirit who lives in me, just said, you know what, be patient. There's more than one van in this world. And sure enough, there was another van. And our daughter ended up buying that. And I was so glad that I didn't let my impulsivity get in control of my heart at that, at that moment. And that's, that's the beauty here. Look, look at Matthew 27, 42. These, these people are like, whatever it takes, let's make sure this guy dies. And while he's dying, let's just not kill him with kindness. Let's kill him with meanness. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Have you ever done that? See somebody in a vulnerable moment and decide to kill him with meanness? When we're impulsive, when we lack self-control, because we're rebels and sinners, we may think to ourselves, where is this coming from? This is not me. Well, on your sinful side, it kind of is you. Now, the beauty of Jesus is you don't have to identify with your sinful side anymore. 
Paul, when talking, he says, this, this is what some of you once were. Past tense. But now, in Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, things can change in a big way that is so much more productive, helpful to yourself, end the self-destruction spiritually, and help others. Be kind when maybe your impulsive you, your old Adam you, in the worst way wants to be mean. Be patient when you, somewhere deep down inside, the rebel side of you is saying, go, 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 quick. This is the beauty that Jesus gives us by placing that robe of righteousness on our shoulders. And the psalmist prays about this, right? This was a useful prayer at the car dealer for me the other day. If any of you are veteran Lutherans, or maybe even other traditions, you've said this in a traditional service over and over and over again. Because it's part of the service, it's part of the liturgy of the service. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. A self-controlled heart. And renew a right, a self-controlled spirit within me. That's what the Holy Spirit will do when Jesus, did you notice what they're accusing Jesus of being? Go back to that Matthew passage uh, a couple. What, what do they accuse him of being? And guess what? As much as they're trying to be mean, what are they doing here? They're speaking truth. He's the king of Israel. And he's your king and he's my king. He's the king of our hearts. And when Jesus rules in our hearts, he pushes back the influence of the old Adam, the, the influence of lack of self-control and impulsivity. He helps us rid our hearts and minds of all that. So write this down. The challenge to impulsivity is when Jesus comes into your heart and rules there. So, I, I just want to make this practical. Maybe some of you are struggling in some form or fashion. You can't go to the store without making impulse buys. And it's dinging your family budget pretty bad. Maybe some of you, like I once was, can have things happen in just the right time and order and place, and you blow up. And you say things you don't mean. And you throw things or, or you punch walls. And you're like, ah, oh. not because I've ever done this, but that hole, I'm going to have to patch it now. Like, those kind of decisions, I'm guessing if you're doing things like that, if in your impulsivity, going back to the first five years, you're, you're trying to calm that through the use of chemicals, to try to find some element, some little tiny suggestion of peace in your heart rather than this constantly being stirred up. Like, you're not going to do it on your own power. 
And so the only way for it to happen is for Jesus' rule in your heart. So let's talk, as I said, practically. How does that happen? It's not hard. It happens when you come to church. It's happening right now. So come to church as often as you can. It happens when you join a growth group and you can kind of get authentic with other people and exchange encouragement around the Word of God. It happens, we're offering communion today. It, it happens when you receive Holy Communion. Because all those things bring Jesus' rule into your heart. And, and that's what we want for you. That's certainly what I want. I know it's what Dustin wants, is for the Holy Spirit to come inside of you, Jesus to rule in your heart, and you gradually through the power of the Holy Spirit, working through his word, exert greater and greater control over your own life. And you can do it. Trust me. <laughs> there were times in my younger life where I was out of control. And gradually God, through the work of his word, has brought my heart under control. So let's talk about the last point. The blessing of self-control, or rather, Jesus' control, since he's the one ruling in our hearts. Really, you know that, right? That all the time, even though the Bible uses the word self-control, it's always talking about Jesus' control, Jesus' ruling in our hearts. And I want, I want to take you back, show that photo of Jesus. Can you imagine yourself in those shoes? He's on trial before his own countrymen, the people who are supposed to be waiting for him, the Messiah who can't figure out who he is, despite fulfilling dozens of prophecies. I, in those shoes, would probably be tempted to rage. Jesus, in those shoes, remained silent completely self-controlled. And, and when I look at this, and then you go all the way from here, and, and you can imagine the painfulness and the, and the exhaustion that came from this. I don't know if any of you ever get hangry. Jesus went since the last meal until his crucifixion hanging there with hardly a thing to eat or drink. And he remains self-controlled. Take a look at what Jesus says to the very people who are crucifying him. What does he say? Father, smite them? Father, strike them dead? Father, let's have some justice here because what's happening to me is completely unwarranted and unfair? Read it with me. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And so let's look at what it says. Peter <laughs> reflected on all this, and I put just a snippet in here to make the point, but I want to read the broader context from, from 2 Peter. Put that passage from 2 Peter up. For if you possess these qualities, no, go back a slide because I, I want to get, yeah, there we go. For this very reason, 
make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. So this is an interesting phrase. You have faith. I want, I want you to take some spiritual thumbtacks and thumbtack these things onto your faith. Goodness. And also add from goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, there it is, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Tack all those things onto your faith. You say, I believe, and rightfully so. Now, let's put some add-ons to that. Peter says, and what happens if we put those add-ins to our faith? For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Isn't that beautiful? That if we don't stop at faith, but add these other elements by the Spirit's power, by the indwelling and control of Jesus in our hearts, let's just talk about the opposite of these. We can begin to live effective and productive lives for the Lord. And isn't that what we want to do now out of gratitude for all that he's done for us? Don't we want to be effective and productive for him? And God says, you can be. You can be if you live under the control of the Holy Spirit. Put that Galatians passage up. This is so perfect. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Impulsiveness, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, all impulsiveness, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, meaning out of control, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But there's the Spirit. There's our amazing resource to change it all. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Write this in. This is our final fill-in. Self-control and other fruits of the Spirit are produced by God so that we can be effective in our lives and productive for Him. So here's your next step for the coming week. I want to invite you to pray with me for God's help to add self-control to our faith so that we can be effective and productive for Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need you in our hearts. We need your Son. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we can fight the natural rebelliousness that we all have because of the fall into sin, 
because we are sinful. But Lord, you have, you have challenged all of that in very real ways and invited us to have Jesus rule in our hearts. And Lord, that's what we ask for. And, and Lord, we're going to continue to ask for that because in gratitude for all that you've done for us, all, all the ways you've loved us, we want to love you in return. And we want to be effective and productive for you and for your kingdom in our lives. Lord, I want to pray for one individual this morning also. Uh, Janet Sarna is in the hospital in ICU right now, and I I want to lift her up as a congregation, as her church family, um, and, and lift also uh, Donna Agan up, who's her sister, and ask you to give them strength and healing and help. Uh, watch over them. Watch over their doctors and their nurses, and uh, bring Jan back to us quickly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.